I have been thinking about this talk this week, and for some bizarre reason, I have written what I thought I needed to say on about a 32 post-it note. I don't know why I did that, but anyway, I really hope this makes some sense. <laughs> um, and if you have got a Bible, we are trying to kind of, you know, help each other read the Bible well, so it will help you if you've got it on your phone or, or even on a piece of paper. That'd be great. Colossians 3. So, I don't know whether you have ever been to St. Ives. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to go, isn't it? Um, a few years ago, we went to the sculpture garden of uh, Barbara Hepworth's work in St. Ives. It's a sort of museum. I think it's where she used to live and work as well. And I was looking at this enormous sculpture with sort of two semicircles, interesting holes through and, you know, strange angles, Look, walking around it, and, um, and I got hold of an audio commentary on this sculpture, and it was saying, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say this is the front of this enormous piece of work, and a bit of me was thinking, well, who are you to say this is the front? Um, you know, obviously, you can look around this thing from many different angles. And then, uh, afterwards, I realised this was actually Barbara Hepworth um, doing the commentary. So I thought, actually, she is the author and creator of this work. And so, of anyone, she should get to tell us where is the best place to stand from which to view this piece right, if you like. And the other thing she said is that if you stand in the right spot, if you're viewing it from the right perspective, you look through it as well. There's these sort of extraordinary holes and you look through and, and the view. So what you see through this piece also is intentional. And C.S. Lewis says, if you've read Magician's Nephew ever, brilliant book, for what you see and hear depends a good deal on where you are standing. For what you see and hear depends a good deal on where you are standing. Now, in these first few verses of Colossians 3, Paul wants you to know something that is utterly central to our faith, and that is that you have not only died with Christ, but you have been raised with Christ. And you have been seated, he says in Ephesians 2.6, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And Paul needs us to know that we have been raised with Christ and he is now seated in heavenly places and we are seated with him. And that makes all the difference to your perspective, to the point from which you see what you see, the point from which you view life and the world. And he's inviting you to live and belong in that place where Jesus is seated in heavenly places. So Paul says here, if you've been raised with Christ, pursue or seek out the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Pursue things above. 
And then he says in verse 4, you are hidden with Christ in God and Christ is seated in the heavens. So I think this kind of stuff takes a while to sink in because this will change your life. And I am going to attempt to draw something on an iPad now, which is way out of my comfort zone. Is it there somewhere? Right. This is, I think, I hope this will help you to um, think about where you, where it is you are doing life from on this planet. So is this going to work? Oh, excellent. So um, this is sort of verses one to four, part of what I think Paul is assuming. And that is that in the Jewish mindset, they, they thought that we did this present age. Bless my heart. And then that at some point, the present age would come to an end when God would break in in some extraordinary way, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the one they'd been waiting for would break in and the age to come would begin. And what would happen when, the, when God broke into history in that way would be the present age would end, the age to come would start running, and the dead would be raised. So the righteous would, would, would be raised from the dead, and the, and the age to come would start running. What happened, in fact was that here's the present age running along. Jesus came as the Messiah and broke in on the present age. He was raised from the dead. So he um, was resurrected from the dead. And we have been raised with him. Oh, <laughs> But he broke in and set the age to come running before this present age had come to an end. I don't know if you understood that at all. But effectively, what Jesus did was go into the future where there was the resurrection of the dead and pull it into the present. And by breaking through the power of death, he actually created this overlap between the present age and the age to come. Now, what, what does that mean for us? What that means is that you and me are living out our lives uh, kind of here in the overlap, in the in-between. What that means is that in Christ, you've died with him, and that means that the powers and principalities that influence and control this world no longer have control over you. You are free from that because your belonging is now in the age to come. That is why Paul calls you a citizen of heaven. You have been raised with him and Paul says you are a new creation in Christ. So you now have power to live your life out of your identity as a citizen of heaven. Now, what does that mean? I mean, very simply, it means that in heaven, there is no suffering, there are no tears, there's no death, there's no sorrow, there's no sickness. That 
is the kingdom oops, to which you now belong. That is home for you. And that makes a massive difference to you. A couple of the things it does is it means that good is always coming. How can I say that with any certainty? Because we are heading towards heaven. So good is always coming. Do you see that? To me, that has made an extraordinary difference in my life. Because it means when the crap is flying, or when it feels like, if you think about this world as a bit of a battle sometimes, sometimes it feels like, and Paul said before, didn't he, that you have been transferred from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. When you think about that kingdom of darkness at work, it means sometimes that if, um, if you like football, it means sometimes that it feels like the other side go a couple of goals up. But what you know is what it will look like by the end of the match. Because God has had the last word because Jesus has already died and been risen from the dead, been raised from the dead. So he has taken what was going to be in the future. He's pulled it into the present. We get to live in those in-between times. And when Paul says your life is hidden with Christ in God, he's talking about all that mysteriousness, all that tension, all that waiting, because we don't yet fully see the glory that we'll see in the future when Jesus is completely and utterly revealed to everyone for who he is and what he's done. So the new age has dawned. You already belong to that age to come. You are heading towards heaven and you are an agent on the earth that brings heaven to the earth. And in, and, in, and in that day, Christ will be fully revealed. But even so, you belong. That, that is where your home is. That is where you belong. You are a citizen of heaven. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So you are living in and out of that truth now. Now, later on, I'm going to tell you very practically what that might mean. How are you going to live according to this reality? So let's skip on to verses 5 to 11. In a way, Paul is setting this massive vision in verses 1 to 4, and then 5 to 11 he comes down to a bit more detail. What is it you're turning your back on? And what is it that you're walking into more of? And from verses 12 and following, he, he looks ahead to the what you're walking into. And then in 5 to 11, if you can see, he's telling you what you've turned your back on as you've died to Christ. And you will see he uses uh, great language around put off Put off the old self. Put on the new self. And various translations say, clothe yourselves. 
And there's this wonderful sort of image of you needing to strip away some stuff, get rid of some stuff, and put on the new. And we talked, didn't we, about in this little church in, 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 in Colossae, Colossae um, when they had all just got baptised, um, they would be given new clothes to wear when they came up out of the water. And so again, this, this idea of clothing made a lot of sense to them. They knew that they were coming up out of the water at baptism and starting a new life, that they were clothed in a new robe and that they'd left behind the old. So let's talk about wardrobes for a minute. I have, my, I have two brothers. One of their partners has a whole double wardrobe. This may be quite normal, eh? I've never heard of this before. She has a whole double wardrobe of clothes that will be for, you know, the winter or the summer. Do you know, when she said that to me, I was utterly shocked. I, 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 because she said that to me, I bought a little box from Ikea, and now I put, a few I put a few items in there that are my summer clothes or my winter clothes. So I didn't really know that was a thing. But the thing is, for St. Paul, this is not a thing. This is not a thing. He is not talking about putting a few things off, but like <laughs> tucking them in a wardrobe somewhere in case you want to put them back on again at some later date. No. He is saying something more like, I am ripping off this cardigan. You are dead to me. Get out of my house. I'm not even giving you to a charity shop because I don't want to pass you on to someone else. This is ruthless. And in verses 5 and 8, <laughs> that, that was it on the iPad. <laughs> I hope that was worth it. Toby, Toby did such a good effort to get me that. Um, in verses 5, he says, Consider, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, say. So you're saying, you are dead to me and I am dead to you now. Get out of my life. And that's to a cardigan. <laughs> the thing is, again, in verse 8, he says, Put them all aside. And other versions say things like, get rid of them. I worked, I may have told you this before, but many years ago I worked in mental health um, in the community in Brixton in London. And when I first got there, I was a young thing, and they gave me the job of helping some of these elderly gentlemen who were in the community and suffering very badly with um, schizophrenia and other things. They'd been on medication for a long time that, frankly, they should have never been on. Um, but they weren't in a good state. But um, this very lovely gentleman, I was very fond of Alan, and um, I was commissioned to get Alan out of the house to use some of his benefits to buy him some new clothes, which he desperately needed. So he and I went off on this shopping trip. I bought with him what I thought was a stunning outfit. And um, we took it home, and the next day he had it on. I was so pleased. Alan, you look fantastic. Uh, but as the days went by, I realized that he had still got his old clothes on underneath. <laughs> he was simply putting his new clothes on top. And we had to have a conversation. And, and you know, you can imagine it was actually quite, quite a thing for him to actually get rid of the old the thing is for us, as we read these passages about putting something off, getting rid of something and putting something on, you have to know something really important. You are not trying to cover up who you actually are and hoping that no one will ever find out what was underneath all along. 
Because when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So you are now, in doing all the putting off and the putting on, you are becoming who you are. You are growing into who you are. Now, there are a couple of police officers in this room. And um, Nathan, I have seen in his uniform before now. The thing is, if you go around in a police uniform and you're not a police officer, you will land, maybe not in jail, but you would get prosecuted in the end, I expect. Wouldn't you, Nathan? Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. The thing is, if I am a police officer, I wear the uniform as, as an outward sign of who I am. That's what we're doing. We're not pretending to be someone we're not. We are growing into the person we actually are in Christ. So all of this stuff, which can look exhausting, frankly, all this putting off and putting on, it's not about trying, it's about training. Now, in the culture that Paul was speaking into, there were lots of lists of vices and virtues. That was fairly normal. What was really mind-blowing and distinctive was the motivation. So what Paul is saying here is that it's not that I'm asking you to try to do things. It is that your identity has actually been reset. And so there's that beautiful verse in verse 10 that says, you are being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created you. You're being renewed in the image of your creator. And as Paul gets down to the detail in this passage, we get these lists um, of behaviors that he is basically saying to them, you don't need to be doing this anymore. Get rid of this stuff out of your lives. You'll see he talks in verse 5, about immorality, impurity, passion, evil, evil desire, and it will either say covetousness or greed, which amounts to idolatry. Then further down, he says, put these aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech coming out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And Tom Wright, his brilliant theologian, what a gift to us in our generation, um, he, he, he sees the, those lists as grouped around disorder and distortion um, of two of God's greatest gifts to us. So these lists, look, look to him, and I, I, think, I think he's right, um, these lists are dis what happens when distortion and disorder invades two of God's greatest gifts to us. They are sex and, and the words that come out of our mouth, sex and speech. And if you stop and think about that for a moment, they are extremely powerful, aren't they, both of those gifts to us. They have a huge impact, not just on a couple of individuals, but on a whole community, on, the, on, the, yeah, on a whole wider community. And they are both 
designed to give life. And yet, Paul was looking around, and we can look around in the same way, and we see that so easily those gifts to us become something we use to degrade one another, to belittle, to exploit, to abuse, to manipulate, to control. (laughs) The damage that gets done through those two things is not just to an individual, but to a whole community. Take care, says Paul. Because if there are powers and principalities of this world that would love to snatch life back out of communities that are centered in Christ, then those two things would be a good place to start, wouldn't they? Those would be great places to start because they will fragment and divide a community just like that. And it's interesting here, if you have got a translation that says greed at the end of that list, the the actual word is covetousness. And that is essentially, isn't it, being driven to want what isn't yours. You get gripped by a desire for something that isn't yours. And And he says, this is idolatry, it's false worship. Because you get controlled and enslaved by these things. And if you have a look in across the states and in this country at who we have raised up into leadership, where are, well, it's just interesting to ponder how very relevant these two areas and aspects of our lives still are. Where are we with truthful speech? Where are we with sexual purity? And in verse 11, Paul goes on to talk about the one another's. See, Paul is speaking to a church in a culture which had very clear distinctions between different groups of people. I don't know if we can quite imagine it, but it actually entitled you to treat people differently. And inequality was actually woven into the way society was ordered. And in that sense, you might say, oh, well, people knew their place. And that created some sort of stability in a culture. But what Paul is saying here is not really, he's not attacking or undermining the differences as such across a community. He's not attacking diversity. He's not trying to make everyone the same. You just have to look out the window to see that God likes diversity, likes um, difference. But what he is insisting upon is that arrogance and prejudice and suspicion have no place at all in the community that is in Christ. Every single person who is found in Christ also has Christ in them. Verse 11 says, but Christ is all and in all. So these distinctions and differences shouldn't make any difference at all to how you treat one another. And if you mistreat this person or that person, 
you are mistreating Christ because Christ is in them. In fact, it's interesting little detail that where, where Paul talks about slandering, the word is blasphemy. And I think that is a beautiful reflection of the fact that Christ is in all. So if you slander somebody, if you speak against them, you are effectively blaspheming against God. Because that person is made in his image. So it's an interesting challenge to wonder what some of those distinctions might be in our community nowadays. But let's go on to verse 12 and following, where Paul, uh, he says, leave these things behind and walk towards uh, heavenly things. Walk uh, into, put on these other things. And look at that in verse 12. He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on these things. And can you see again that same pattern to say, do this because of who you are. Do these things because of who you are. You are chosen. You are made holy in Christ. You are loved lavishly and forever. And the list in verse 12 there is supposed to contrast starkly and strongly with those lists that have gone before. Put on, he says, in the translation, it says a heart of compassion. But it's actually a bowel, a bowel of compassion. Don't you think that's rather good? We're not like, oh, you know, we love you. We're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave that one with you. Anyway, bowels of compassion. Um, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. And he says at the end there, add love. Add love. Put on love, which is the bond, the perfect bond of unity. So if you think about the contrast there, one, di one divides and fragments a community, and that other one holds it together, doesn't it? So, summary, number one, in Christ, you have been recreated as a citizen of heaven. So, live your life on this earth, out of that place. That is where your belonging is. That is who you are. Live your life in the hope of glory. <laughs> and then number two, in terms of your behaviors, in terms of how you live, you are not trying to be someone you are not. You are training to become more fully the person you already are. 
And lastly, I just want to get spend a moment on the practical of this, the how-to, because Paul is talking here about transformation, isn't he? He's talking about measurable change in you and me. He says, stop lying to each other. It's sort of vaguely encouraging that the church was obviously, loads of people were lying to each other. So he had to say to them, stop doing that. (laughs) The thing is, you and I, because we belong in Christ and we have been raised with him and we died to the old with him, we don't need these behaviors. We don't need them anymore. So, are you on a journey of transformation? Or, or, or have you kind of forgotten that this is your inheritance in Christ? So, Dallas Willard, some of you may have heard of him. He died in 2013. But he made a phenomenal contribution to Christian spiritual formation. John has read his books. I find his books quite hard to understand. Um, But the thing he brought to the church, among many other things, was this, that in our kind of stream of church, we often say things like, you can do nothing to earn your salvation. Or, um, there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. And those are true. But what he said was, we've mistakenly made people think that they just kind of sit back in their chair and, um, you know, wait for heaven. Whereas if you read these letters at all, you quickly come to see that this action is on our part, isn't it? No one else is going to take, take those, you know, rip those things from you. No one else is going to clothe you in those things. It's you who gets to make every effort, as Paul says in another letter. So this might be a bit of a shock that actual action is required on our part. And the the key there is that earning and effort are not the same thing. Earning and effort are not the same thing. The action on our part is to do everything we can do to make space for God to do what we couldn't possibly do. I say that again. (laughs) The action on our part is to do everything we can do to make space for God to do what we can't possibly do for ourselves. So, as we make every effort, what is that going to look like? One thing I would say, please do not try this at home without the Holy Spirit. That would be a really daft thing to do. Because St. Paul knows, God knows, that you can't do this without being in Christ, without being filled with the power of God. But in Christ, and and in fact, if you try to do that, you will do what Paul has just talked about, which is self-made religion, he says in 23. And a lot of the the Colossian heresy was around people thinking that they could do something that would save them. So he says, don't just try hard by yourself. It won't work. You'll be miserable. You'll be exhausted or you'll get really self-righteous and religious and people won't like you. (laughs) So what... 
uh, Dallas Willard comes up with, which, which I think is a big help, is this thing called VIM. It's a V-I-M, VIM. And VIM stands for vision, intention, and means. Vision, intention, and means. Now, let's think about it for a moment in those areas of sex and speech. You may be struggling, uh, you get caught up sort of watching pornography late at night. You may be struggling when you stop to think about it, to think, whoa, I've fallen into a habit of, of not telling the truth. What Dallas says <laughs> is make sure you are going to come to this. You're making effort, um, having the right vision for who you are and where you are. You want a vision of being a person free from addiction and control. You want to have a vision that in Christ, you are a person who is sexually pure and free, a person who treats others with dignity, a person who cares about enacting justice, a person who has control over their own appetites rather than the other way around. So intention, he says, then, is making a moment. So you've got your vision. You've got your vision in place. Then intention is for, I think, and if I say anything, he is brilliant. So if I've misunderstood this in any way, it's my fault. Um, Intention is making a moment when you will to change. So it's a moment of decision. And in that, you might well need to acknowledge to someone else that you've got into a destructive pattern. You might tell someone or ask them to pray for you. And if you've got into a pattern that has really got a grip on you, you may need some prayer that actually sets you free from that. Then you might need to tell them what you're intending to become and what you will do to invite that change. So you've got the vision I want to be a person who tells the truth and who actually speaks words that release life into other people's lives. I don't need to lie because I am secure and purposeful and whole in Jesus. So once you've got your vision and your intention, the means is the last bit, which is the the method. What are you actually going to do? that will invite that change. And that comes down to really changing a habit, changing a bad habit for a good one. We've all got habits, haven't we? We are creatures of habit, as they say. Uh, But you need to stop doing one thing and start doing another. And that may be hard at times, and it may take a bit of time. But I would say, don't give up. Resist. Keep going with that little thing that you've intended to do. Because if you've ever made it to a gym, you will know that you have to do some resistance, don't you, in order to build strength. It's the same, same thing. So decide what you will do. It might mean that you go without screen time on purpose and you set aside a couple of hours a week 
where you're just going to sit in the presence of God with nothing to distract you. It may mean that you're going to take that time to meditate on God's truth because you know you've come away from truth. You may want to practice as well every day, deciding to speak something of it, uh, that will encourage and build someone up. Speak the truth about what you see of God in someone, what they're good at. Because it breaks the power of a habit. And so I would say as we get to pray for each other now for a little while, we'll just invite the Holy Spirit because that is what we need more than anything else in order to go on this journey of transformation. If you think about it, many of the behaviors that we fall into that we know aren't leading us into life have their roots in things like insignificance. We're trying to make ourselves feel more important by doing something not very good. Or we're insecure, we're not sure who we are. Or we're, or we're re rejected, or we're fearful. But why would we put up with that? Why would we put up with that? That is not who you are. So we are actively and regularly, and I speak to myself um, for sure in this, Put things in place that will change your mind about who you are and that will set your mind on things above because the truth is you belong. The truth is you are loved. You are secure. You are purposeful as an agent of the kingdom of heaven on this planet. So be, be who you are in Christ. We are destined to be transformed, to go from glory to glory. And one day, we are heading towards heaven itself, even as we call heaven to earth in our everyday lives.